Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Globalocity Radio. I'm Doris Nagel, CEO of Globalocity, experienced sales growth consultants. We focus on helping companies with indirect sales channel strategy and implementation with international expansion, product management processes and portfolio management, and effectively partnering with other organizations. We are passionate about helping companies be more successful, improving both revenue growth and profitability. Our approach is decidedly hands-on and always practical. Our goal is to always leave our clients with systems and processes they can easily maintain long after we finish the project and are gone. Today, we are delighted to have with us as our guest, Ralph Fetch. Ralph is a five-times VP of sales, having worked for everything from startups to publicly traded companies. He's got a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and a master's degree in computer science from New York Institute of Technology. He's worked in a variety of industries, geographies, and product types, and has worked with both direct and the five main indirect sales channels, what he calls Cinco de Channels, distributors, reps, service companies, OEMs, and influencers. Through his extensive experience working with and even being a channel partner, he recognizes firsthand the challenges when a company is not channel ready. In 2015, Ralph started 10th Opus with the goal of helping companies realize the full potential for growth for startups and new growth high technology companies. He's in the process of writing a book entitled Faster Revenue Through Channels, and it is due out in 2018, so be looking for that. Ralph, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Doris. So he is going to talk about a topic today that in my opinion, and I think Ralph would agree, is an off, addressed often enough, which is sales channel readiness. You know, Ralph, before we talk about what channel readiness means, I think it might be helpful to define what you mean by channel, because people use this term in lots of ways, and I think it might be helpful to, to elaborate on that. What do you mean by channel? Well, when you talk to people and you uh, you talk about channels, most think of indirect channels, things like distributors, really a separate sales organization from the company. This could be distributors where they're taking title in the product, or it could be people that sell on behalf of the company, like manufacturers reps, where the title transfer occurs with the uh, the supplier. And of course, there are other channel types like OEM influencers and systems integrators, which which I'm not going to get into right now because that would be another hour. But on the other side there, there's actually channels within a company. And and this is the part that I've seen a lot of times companies miss this channel aspect to going to market. And the challenge there is that it looks like it's a direct sales organization, which is oftentimes very obvious or easy to see in a smaller company. But as companies get larger and they start adding more product groups or portfolios, and within those product groups, they have multiple products, their company or their direct sales organization starts to resemble more of a channel structure than, in, than a direct sales organization. And just using it as an example, you have a company with multiple salespeople and they have multiple product groups. Well, 
let's just look at that same example, but you have salespeople within a distributor representing multiple product lines from multiple companies. And within those companies, they have multiple products themselves. So it's very obvious that you're going to need to approach this in a certain way. But then you take this within a very large or medium-sized company, and they have three, four, five different product groups with multiple products. Well, it's essentially the same as the distributor model. Right. And the importance of that is that the companies need to, if there was a distributor model, they're behaving in a certain way because they know that the product or how you go to market needs to be much more mature with product marketing and things like that. But within a direct organization, it tends to be less so. And the results are conversant of that. Yeah. You know, interestingly, what I saw too in working with a couple of the large companies I worked with, especially internationally, you would see, for example, that each sales team would have their own direct salespeople in the U.S. or maybe North America. But then when it came to Europe, the salespeople were more what I would call big bag salespeople. So they were expected to carry several different SBU products. And wow, <laughs> that was challenging in talking to some of them because uh, then, mm -hmm. you know, then they had to try to run interference with each different business unit, each of which did things somewhat differently. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. It's a good so, point. You know, I kind of, and you bring up something interesting there regarding uh, international. A lot of times people sort of gloss over, hey, we'll go to Europe, we'll go to Asia, you know, just we'll hire some people and you're ready to go. I've actually found that one way to look at business in some of these international markets is to equate it to almost like ski, ski slopes. So if you look at going to, to market in the United States, you can kind of think of it as a green, depending on the product, it might even be a blue, you know, being more difficult. All right. But then as you go to Europe, you start getting to more black diamonds and things because there are cultural differences that are so different than the United States and yeah. Latin America be, can be the same. And then you can start going to places like China or particularly Japan, and you're really approaching double black diamond. And, uh, <laughs> a lot of the, moguls there. <laughs> a lot of moguls and trees, exactly. And uh, so uh, this is where, you know, people, oh, let's just expand. Let's go. You know, so many people in China, we only have to sell to 1%. Well, guess what? You never even get to that 1% without proper preparation. Or it'll be so painful that you wish you'd never gone down that route as you That's bang right. yourself up on those big moguls. So so now that we're clear on what a channel is, let's talk about channel readiness. What does that mean to you, Ralph? Well, it means a lot of different things. And, and some of it's also a factor of the kind of product that you have and, and the geography of where you're trying to get into and, and also the kind of company that you are. But essentially, it breaks down into a number of key areas. The first is being marketing ready. That means that you have basic things like cut sheets in the local language or for that market or for that vertical. It means that you have presentations or brochures or things on your website that people can go and get more and more information. In fact, the website is extremely critical because a lot of times people just go to the website before even engaging a customer and, you know, or in engaging a supplier just to figure out whether or not it's worth their time or not. The second part to that is really being product ready. I've seen numerous examples where people go out, hey, let's, let's launch this product, and they don't even have basic certifications in place. 
you know, like basically Rojas over in Europe or, or other certifications. And they sort of just gloss over it. Hey, let's just, you know, hey, whatever, let's just get a couple of orders in place. And unfortunately, if you don't have so many certifications in place ahead of time, you could either be heavily fined or even excluded from that market for a period of time. And then it's really hard to get back in. The other part there is being support ready. Things like if your product is tied to spare parts, how do you process that? How do you process returns? You know, usually there's a, you know, particularly with companies that are in a hyper growth, yeah, yeah, we'll deal with it later on. Well, guess what? Later on comes really fast. And then the other part there is sales readiness. And this is really where I think a lot of times companies tend to just kind of wing it because they're sort of counting on maybe the, the skills or the expertise of the salespeople. And as you move into maybe hiring new salespeople or opening up a new geography or maybe a new vertical market, not having that sales fluency, shall we say, in an engagement can make things go a lot slower. And it can also make things happen with a higher cost of sales. So understanding basic objections that people are going to get, how to handle the competition, basic positioning, elevator pitches, basic things and how to quote the product, basic sales things. Yeah. And then the other part there, too, is just company things like credit checks. How are you going to handle an order in Latin America? It's going to be cash up front. What does that mean? Payment terms. You know, I heard from one of the distributors in Italy that the average payment period from a customer to a distributor is 260 days. That doesn't surprise me at all. Doesn't and in the United States, me. everybody operates at net 30. So there's a major disconnect. So right. even when a distributor is paying at net 90 and you think that they're really in violation of the contract, <laughs> they still haven't collected their money from right. their customers. They're still remember, acting as a bank, basically. Oh, yeah. I remember one of our distributors I had from a, a previous company, he was working with one of the large Italian car manufacturers, and uh, they would pay in two years regularly. So, I, again, a major mismatch. Yeah, so, and that, that needs to be factored in you know, yep. within the company. Mm -hmm. And then the other part, too, is just even contracts. How is that handled? You know, rule of law has to be New Jersey or Massachusetts. Well, <laughs> what's that going to mean with somebody in Japan, right? right? And then the other part there is just also, and a very, very key thing, and I see this happening over and over, is just understanding clear rules of engagement. Right. What happens in a territory? What can, the, what can a channel partner or even the direct sales organization expect from the headquarters and from the parent company in terms of engaging customers and how you go to market in that area? Yeah. Right. Well, even engaging, how to engage the company. I've uh, had distributors tell me horror stories of how difficult it is. They don't understand how a particular kind of issue needs to get resolved. And some of them just resort to then calling all over the place, which, of course, drives the supplier organization completely bananas. But it's because the company didn't lay out exactly what you're supposed to do to resolve this kind of issue. That's, That's absolutely right. an exact yep. example of that. So there's a lot to do, obviously, to be channel ready. Why is it so important to, to really focus on these things, to be channel ready? Well, we keep talking about being channel ready and the importance, but at the end of the day, being channel ready is really there to give you the ability to transfer the knowledge to a, another sales organization or another independent company so that you can achieve revenue faster. 
And the idea is to have that revenue happen sooner than later. And I'm a big believer that revenue cures a lot of problems in a companies. You know, it helps you drive growth. It helps you hire more people, right? Yeah. Revenue cures a lot of problems. And the faster you get to that revenue, the better. And I think that's the importance of why companies really need to look at channel readiness. You know, I've heard the expression, ready, fire, aim. I see a lot of times people are just so eager, a lot of com companies are so eager to go out and take over a territory or move into a new vertical market without some of that upfront preparation. Yeah. And this is why I use the example with you know Japan being a double black diamond. They are very, very cautious. And I think the expression is it could take them maybe sometimes three hours to watch 60 minutes because they just really <laughs> want to really look at it, right? And really analyze it and just make sure that, you know, you're the real deal. And, and unfortunately, if you go too quickly in some of these areas, it can actually hurt you. Absolutely. And it can take you longer. But even in the United States, because let's face it, customers have also been very jaded with promises of new products and then they, the companies go out of business or it doesn't live up to expectations. So it's really important to, to really take your best step forward. And the other part there too is that when you look at some of these areas, while it's very challenging and expensive to go into a new market or to launch a new product or whatever, it is infinitely more expensive to relaunch. If you have to go back out because you stubbed your toe or had some product issues or, or didn't hire the right people or whatever, now you go back out and try to do it again, it's much, much harder, much more expensive. So that's the importance of being channel ready. You know, I was struck by a quote from the chapter of your upcoming book that you were kind enough to share with me. It was very interesting, by the way, and I can't wait to, to read the entire book. But you wrote another factor in being channel ready is understanding what you want and expect from the, your channel. This understanding needs to then be combined with what the channel needs in order to achieve that want and expectation. You know, I, in my own experience, I think mismatches and expectations are a huge reason why strategic partnerships, including those with indirect sales channel partners, but even frankly, even within your own company, with partnerships internally among departments are often frustrating and ineffective. Can you elaborate on that comment that you made? Yeah, thanks for for picking that out, Doris. It sounds like I got to go back and read my own chapter again. But, you know, what's interesting is that if it really boils down to trying to figure out how do you motivate and what is important to that channel partner. And really understanding really at a, at a fundamental level why they want to work with you, what you're trying to accomplish. You know, in the same way, if you have a direct sales organization, you know, sales management 101 is to really understand what are the goals that your sales people have. They want to get a new car. They want to get a new house. And you try to tap into that. But with distributors, it's the same. You know, are they looking to get into new customers? Well, your product because on their, their existing flagship products, they may actually be excluded from certain customers because those, those customers are already using a competing product of theirs. But your product may actually help them get into those customers, get in front of them. 
So it's a way of leading in, even though it may not drive the same amount of revenue as their maybe one of their flagship products, it allows them to move into other areas of their territory that were normally or in the past excluded from because they didn't have an offering that the customer was interested in. The other part there is it could be around driving more services. Some channel partners like systems integrators are really focused on looking at driving services and driving services revenue and really being able to tap into that and understand that will help you better understand whether or not it's a good product fit or even a good company fit. And the litmus test that I use for this around either distributors or systems integrators, and usually these companies have sort of a mix of both between delivering some services and delivering products, is if you could chase a big deal, two deals, both of them are $10 million. One is $9 million in services and $1 million in product. And the other one is $9 million in product, $1 million in services. You can only chase one. And guess what? Some will answer it one way and some will answer another. And if they answer it around the services, then they're fundamentally driven by, by services revenue. If they're driven by the product and that's the one that they want, then they're fundamentally a product company. And if they say, well, I'll just chase both, well, you know what? They're trying to hedge their bets and they probably don't know who they are. <laughs> Very interesting. Lots of companies, in my experience, are not what I would call channel ready as you define it. What happens if they're not channel ready? Can you give us some examples? Well, there's usually a few things, indicators of companies not being channel ready. And again, I like to equate, as somebody once told me, that 90% of people surveyed say they're above average drivers. Well, it's just not, it's not possible, All right. right? Impossible. Yet, 90% of people think they're above average drivers. You know, if you did a sales training class and asked everybody to raise their hand, who thinks that they're a bad negotiator? Nobody would, right? right. Of course, 50% of them are not going to be as good as the others. Everything follows a bell curve. And I think channel readiness is a little bit like that, where companies, hey, we're fine, you know, we're, we're getting some revenue. But there are usually certain telltale signs that the company perhaps isn't as channel ready as they thought they were. One is that it takes new salespeople, direct or even distributors, a long time to get ramped. And they also tend to get rid of salespeople because a person that passed the interview of numerous people, now they find out can't sell. Well, maybe it's something else. Companies that also flip, and I talked to a very large multinational chemical company, they keep flipping between direct sales and distributors. Mm, there might be something else going on. Companies that also experience success with their direct sales organization, maybe in a local geography, but are just not successful in a more remote geography, particularly Asia or Europe, and struggling to figure out why that is. Another area is basic lack of a documented sales process. I can't tell you how many large companies that I've talked to where they don't have even a documented sales process of what's supposed to occur at each step, even for something as basic as like telesales, where it's a one-hour conversation, you still follow through certain steps, and certain things are supposed to happen at certain steps. And the better you understand that, the better you're going to be able to react to that and also the, the market. I sort of equate it to watching a football game. I'm a big Patriots fan. If you look at the outcome of the last Super Bowl, 
It wasn't an accident that they won. They followed a process. But more importantly, people ran routes. If you look at the pass to Edelman, he had three defenders on him. And the ball was thrown by Brady to a certain spot, and Edelman ran to a certain spot. And even with three defenders on him, he was successful. Now, some companies run around and they just send their people on the field trying to get open. Others follow a documented process. And that's the difference. And that's sort of another element of channel readiness. And then the last thing is you'll find out that the channel tends to abandon you. So, you know, this is a, another key area. And, and if I look at an example of this, and I heard this once, it was a consumer products company. They were out there really excited about a new product. And this particular, one of their competitors had seen that they were doing a sort of a, a trial launch in a very small geography. I think it was in the Denver area. And this one particular district person recognized this, and he purchased all their products in this market. And of course, the, the parent company's like, wow, this thing is going to be a success. Look, the price <laughs> fall flying off the shelves. Oh, no. So they went out, and they did the whole launch, and then guess what? It was an absolute failure because they didn't test it enough. They were just, you know, they had their happy ears on, and they thought everything was going to be okay. It's hilarious. That's yeah. Absolutely, Helen, but you can see how it would happen. So um, I know in an earlier offline conversation that we had, you said that companies that are not channel ready can still sometimes be successful because they depend on tribal knowledge, meaning their internal knowledge of how things are done, rather than being company ready and having their policies and procedures documented and agree. But then that they struggle when they're ready to introduce and manage a new channel or a different channel. Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, I'm sure people who are listening here, they've either been a salesperson or they're working with salespeople. And then you've got certain people in the company that are the rock stars. And what happens there? Well, those people, oftentimes they're pretty close to headquarters or they have somebody on the inside, like an inside salesperson that they work with very, very, very closely. And those salespeople or those inside people know, hey, let's go talk to Freddie. He knows how to quote the product. Or let's go talk to Michelle. She knows where the new brochure is or how to uh, get the new PowerPoint that you know nobody's else supposed to have. It's that inside knowledge of how to position against a competitor or call this sales guy. He knows how to win on this deal. And it's that internal tribal knowledge that if you select people, the more astute people, also the more experienced, the, comp the people that have been there the longest, tend to know because they learn this over time. Well, when you're a new person coming in, or even worse, if you're a person that's in a remote area, say in Japan, where you have a, a 12 hour time difference with the United States, it could be a disaster because you don't have that information. You don't have that inside conduit of where to get certain pieces of information to make you successful. So companies start out thinking, hey, great, you know, we're, we're doing great. We've got some sales. But the reality is, is that that's not scalable. So they'll open up an office in a remote area or they'll hire some distributors and they don't know to call, talk to Michelle to get that information. They don't know to talk to Freddie to get that quote. And by the way, Freddie's already so busy because he's doing everything for the domestic team that he's got no time to look at a quote for another district because it's not his quota, it's not his job description. Besides that, 
Right. You know, he's overworked already. Right. So that's where not having that channel readiness really makes it hard for companies to, to scale and really ramp uh, some of their companies. So that's why a lot of times smaller companies, they're not channel ready, but they can still be immensely successful. But once you start tipping past that five or 10 or particularly $20 million mark, well, that's when things start to change significantly. Yeah. You know, I, I think it is definitely hard for people who are working remotely. Field salespeople will will tell you stories of how difficult it is when you're not at corporate. And I think that that just multiplies when you're talking about an external third-party company like a distributor. So you might have two or three, maybe if you're lucky, four times a year, a business review, maybe one, only one or two of those are even in person. The rest of it is just, you know, interactions ad hoc. And over time, you sort of put together, oops, that didn't work. Or, ah, that's how that gets done. But boy, oh, yeah. that can take a long, long time. And it's pretty easy to see how some of the distributors who aren't so patient might or that all that interested maybe in the first place or are frustrated with other aspects of doing business with you simply say, yeah, just go away. <laughs> you're yeah. not worth investing my time and energy with because you're just too difficult. Yeah, and I think just to elaborate on that a little bit, I mean, I always like to draw on examples in real life. You look at two people and they, one is they got all their windows replaced. You know, they had to shore up the foundation on the house and the whole thing. And they spent 50000 And the neighbor, they spent 50000 and got a nice kitchen, right? Wow, that looks great. And everybody's all excited about the kitchen because it looks fantastic. Nobody's excited about new windows or a roof. But at the end of the day, that those things are so important. And while some of this underlying processes and things like that look like it's a lot of work, it really does prepare you for the for the long haul, as opposed to spending all the money on a kitchen and now you got beautiful brochures and big trade show booths and the whole thing and a splash and it doesn't last very long because the underlying foundation isn't there. Yeah. So if you want to flip the house, meaning you want to make quick transactional sales, focus on the kitchen. If you want a business that's scalable and grows steadily over time and becomes strategic, then focus more on the foundation. Oh, yeah. In fact, there'll probably be people out there saying, well, I'm, I'm ready to sell my company. I want to flip it, so let's do the kitchen. But, you know, any any company that's worth their weight in salt in a due diligence process, that'll come out very quickly. So it's tough to be channel ready in all respects, I think, because it covers a lot of aspects of how a company operates. Do Does a company really have to be ready in all these respects to get started? No, they don't. I think when you look at companies and a lot of them are already getting started, they're not channel ready. In fact, they're still in that figure it out phase. But in fact, I'll actually say that even people listening to this podcast are probably saying, you know, listen, I'm, I got revenue, so I, I must be channel ready or I'm probably good because, you know, I got international distributors. But with all things, including channel readiness, there's three steps. There's the today problem, there's the tomorrow problem, and then there's the down the road problem. And the today problems are the things that are going to kill you immediately. Then you have the tomorrow problems, which are going to kill you. But unless you deal with the today problems, you're not going to have to worry about the tomorrow. And then there's the future down the road problems that you also have to address because you're going to get to that point very, very quickly. So today problems are things like 
you know, handling product returns or product support. And then you look at today problems, there are things like, hey, do I have a contract for a particular reseller? Do I have cut sheets that I can even explain when I try to recruit somebody about what we're doing? So you have today problems, tomorrow problems, which are things that occur once a person is really operational with you and moving along. And then you have the down the road problems, things like I would need to handle spares in country or handle uh, returns very quickly or handling things with competition or doing trade shows effectively or helping channel partners with, with lead generation. So a company cannot be channel ready and they're probably, even if they're going into an area, they're, they're dealing with the today problems for sure. Yeah. But it's looking at each one of these different steps and really methodically chipping away at it against those main areas I told you about. What does it take to be channel ready and assessing at each one of the steps? Well, that's when you can really uh, become much more successful. Yeah. You know, I, I think I mentioned my partner, Mike Hunter, is especially passionate about ensuring that companies invest in adequate onboarding for their channel partners. Do you, do you agree with him? Yeah, I really do. And I see this the same with uh, direct sales organizations. I think a lot of times people don't invest enough in their own employees to, to get them operational. They usually send them out the road for a week, you know, to do a ride along with one of their other partner, one of the other salespeople, and then they're, hey, start closing business. So they're not in, these companies are not investing enough in the channel and the sustained uh, working with a channel partner or even a salesperson in a remote area to really move them along so that they can really truly be independent. And I think some of it has to do with budgets. Some of it has to do with just everybody's really busy or they get reallocated. And again, some of it's also the fact that some of the underlying things are just not in place, you know, for handling, for instance, a particular entrenched competitor that's only in one geography but not in maybe the domestic geography and how do you handle that but there's another factor at work and that's really understanding the situation in which you're dealing with with the partner and you touched on this earlier in the in the podcast it's really understanding your partner and what it takes to be successful and what they're going to need to 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 get from you so example you could be working with a systems integrator and like we had worked in the past with one of the large consulting companies like an Accenture or one of these other ones. And they have a requirement to keep their people billable on a weekly basis. In fact, they need to keep them almost at a 70% billability rate, which means there's very little time outside of vacations and holidays that these people have sort of free time to, to do things like a training class. So if you're going to require a channel partner to come to your home office, your headquarters to take a, tra a training class, even if the class is free, the partner is going to have to pay for the training. And then a lot of times, if they're a services company, that week they're going to be non-billable. So they're going to have a double whammy. And, you know, the company, as far as they're concerned, hey, we did everything right. We have a, a training program. The guy just didn't show up. You know, it's time to make a, a change on the channel partner. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, the example I like to use is like winning an argument with your wife. I mean, you can win, but you're going to be sleeping on the couch. And what do you got from there? So it doesn't matter that you're right. I mean, sure, I got this training class if it doesn't achieve the proper outcome. So that's when you have to be looking at alternatives. How do I reach a channel partner where I really know that I'm not going to be able to take them away from their billable activity 
what else can I do to make that person successful? Because at the end of the day, that's going to make you successful. Good advice. So a lot of companies, I think, are not really ready as you've defined it. But, you know, there's a lot to being fully ready. So and and I think it's probably pretty easy to, to look at that as a giant wall and say, oh, my goodness, there's so much I don't. I don't know where to even begin. What's your advice to them? Where where should they start? Well, I think the first element of being cured is recognizing you have a problem. So uh, that's <laughs> yeah, Alcoholics right? Anonymous. Well, well exactly. Yeah, yeah. Alcoholics so, Anonymous. So, you know, same kind of thing. Maybe it's a multi-step process here. And the first one's saying, hey, you know, maybe, I, maybe there is something going on here. So... Again, the goal of being child ready is to generate as much revenue as quickly as you can. So that's the goal. The goal is not to be channel ready. The goal is to generate revenue. And channel readiness is one of the ways to get you there. So I like to uh, liken it to climbing a very large or high mountain with, a, let's say, a backpack. There are certain things that make the backpack heavier, and there are certain things that make the backpack lighter. So the more channel ready you are, the faster you're going to send the mountain. Because there are going to be obstacles along the way. That's a given. But the less channel ready you are, the heavier the pack. And the longer it's going to take you. And you, it may even take you, you may even have to take some breaks in between with maybe changing partners or whatever to get you to that point. So that's the key thing there that you want to be looking at, really looking at things you can do to make things easier for your partner. Like, for instance, maybe looking at logs or questions that come in from the field to your inside team? Are there ways there that you can sort of chip away at that and make that a little bit easier for them and, and help them, you know, help that channel partner become a little bit more successful? But the other one that's really important, and I see this repeatedly that companies don't spend enough time on and follow, is really clear rules of engagement. That means how does the company perform in a particular territory? How do they handle work with their customers? Because at a certain point, the distributor, and that's what they're doing in these remote areas, is giving you access to a market that you didn't normally have. And they're going to introduce you to their customers. And their customers are also customers for their other products. And these distributors are so paranoid because, you know, they're going to think back, you know, 10 years ago where one of the other suppliers and it wasn't you, well, you know, they started working with them. It was a great relationship, and then they dropped them, and they took their went direct in a particular territory. All these channel partners have these stories or these things, this baggage that they're carrying, the head trash that gets in the way of them really having a, a healthy relationship. So, a lot of times, what happens without clear rules of engagement, I something that happens which I equate to cause effect effect. Something downstream occurred. And there are two follow-on effects that you really sort of think of, you know, what's really occurring. And, I, and a good way to illustrate this is I was listening to a radio show one morning. And uh, this one particular radio station, they do this thing, you know, where this distraught husband or wife, and they think that there's been some transgression with their, with their partner, their significant other. So they call the radio station, appealing their case. And what the radio station will do is they'll call this poor unsuspecting person at their place of work, pretending that they're, they're, they're the phone company and gonna give this person a dozen <laughs> roses. Well, that should be the first tip off that this isn't real. 
but you know the people okay they're busy and they think oh this is great you know finally i finally i get something from exactly you know and i'm not just getting cut off right or my 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 bills going up so and of course there's a card that goes along with it so one of these particular shows the wife calls up and her husband just got a promotion and he's never home and they're not connecting anymore like they used to as soon as they're done with dinner he 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 runs off into the office he's on the phone and uh, he's working on Saturdays and of course the wife calls up to see if he's gonna come home and the secretary is very attractive always answers and somehow she's always laughing on the other end of the phone something must be going on right well there's one particular show he calls up and of course what does he the, the, the husband do he he has a dozen roses go to the secretary as a sign of appreciation for working right. extra hours for this big acquisition that they were working on well you just can imagine the whole thing just imploded well <laughs> with the uh, with channels so you have a company that wants to send one of their new president or senior exec to a particular territory and Hey, I know the customer. I'll just make it easy, you know, on the channel partner. He's busy. I'll just try to set up something directly, right? Why not? Or even the president does it. And then, of course, the channel partner finds out. He says, well, wait a minute. They're not involving me. They're calling my customer directly. Something must be going on. So now they take their foot off the gas and they're not pushing your product as much. And then all of a sudden, now the revenue is down. Like, hey, wait a minute. Now this trip is more about not just going out there and saying hello to customers. Now we got to find a new distributor partner. Right. So it's cause, effect, effect. And that's why clear rules of engagement really make that process a lot smoother and really eliminate some of those headaches that uh, come, come down the path. Well, I think you made an observation that what happens is when there aren't clear rules of engagement and there's cross communication, you start to lose trust and we have a framework that's called partnering intelligence that helps companies partner more effectively, but there's just a ton of research out there. And certainly it's been our experience in working with companies as they partner. The the number one predictor of partnership success is trust. So there's nothing like miscommunicate having good intentions the husband and his wife and the secretary but Mm -hmm. but not having clarity in terms of the communication and how to deal with conflict and and engaging each other effectively and that breaks down trust and it is very difficult to get trust once it has been broken yep i completely agree and this is where i'm going to take a little swipe at some of the bean counters that might also be (laughs) listening here because they look at it like, oh, look, my distributor is making so much money. Well, that's logic. But trust is an emotional thing. And emotion will always out-trump logic. And that's why starting having formal trust, having that trust in place is so important. And let's face it. I mean, if you look at Sales 101, why is rapport building such a big deal when you're meeting with a new client? It's building trust with that person. And you've got to continue that trust with a distributor to make sure not only are they going to want to continue to work with you, but you will really want to capture as much of their mind share as you can. And the only way that you'll do that is if they trust you. Good advice. So are there certain instances where you don't need to be channel ready? You know, not many, because again, it just really has such an impact on your ability to be successful. 
probably the big exception to not being channel ready is with the OEM model. OEMs being companies that will take your product and resell it as their own, probably as a white label. Or what they'll do is maybe have a component, maybe it's a, a motor or something, and they'll embed it in within their own equipment or their or if it's a software, maybe it's a software driver, and they'll embed it in with their own software. In that case, probably with the exception of the support side, you don't really need to be very channel ready. In fact, they're gonna most likely redefine what your product really looks like. You'll have other challenges because it's gonna take you a long time to get that product specified, and, and hopefully you'll even get the ramp that you're expecting from all the effort that you put into getting the product specified and chosen by that particular uh, OEM. But that would probably be about the only exception. All the others, the more channel ready you are, the faster you're going to get revenue and the cheaper it's going to be to uh, to uh, capture that revenue. You know, I, I think a lot of companies know they need to be doing more to support their channels. They They either can tell you that or you can tell them and they nod their heads or they know it at some instinctive level, but they just don't get around to doing anything about it. Why do you think that is? Oh boy, you know that's the uh, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? And uh, it's sort of maddening that you see companies that that are in this point. But you know, sometimes it's uh, kind of like describing the color red to a blind person. They just, you know, you can try and try and try, and they're just not going to get it. They're not going to see it. And and I've seen this too with different channel approaches. I've seen people that look at channels. And they're very comfortable with distributors, but as soon as they introduce a rep model, which is enormously successful in certain instances, well, then they have a problem because if you look, if you're a finance person, you look at a distributor model, it's a buy sell. So even though you're giving up maybe 45% discount from a financial perspective, it's just you're buying and selling and then there's that's your price. That's your your go to market. That's your price to the channel. But as soon as you have to write a commission to a rep, now all of a sudden it starts being looked at as an expense. <laughs> but you could actually have a rep and a distributor model and still get within that 45% margin if you want, if it's a pure distributor. But somebody within the company somewhere is going to look at it and like, you know what? Wow, look at how much money we're giving up. And they're forgetting the big picture. And again, this gets back to you know describing the color red to a blind person. You can try and try and try, and they're just not going to get it. You know, you can get close. The color red is it's like think of a warm sunny day, but <laughs> you know it's just not going to be the same. And I see this over and over. Companies make the transition. They go to a certain point, and they just look at that and they say, "Wait a minute, I got a rep here, and I'm paying a commission for him." And then I got an inside channel manager that's also getting a commission to manage and work with that rep. Why am I paying two, two people commissions here? You know, one of these has got to be eliminated. And it just happens over and over again. <laughs> Ralph, I appreciate you being with us today. Thanks so much for sharing your insights with us. It was a pleasure, Doris. I really appreciate it. And some great questions. And look forward to, uh, to future podcasts. And... Uh, and uh, seeing how your company grows. Thanks so much. That's it for today, folks. I hope our listeners have enjoyed learning about channel management 
the importance of being channel ready and some tips on how to become more channel ready. You can listen to interviews with our many other guests by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, on Google Play, Speakific, or on Globalocity Radio YouTube channel, or by visiting our website at www.globalocityservices.com. Thanks again for listening and being with us today.